Good morning, here is chapter 6 of Laura Ingalls Wilder by the shores of Silver Lake, titled Horse Thieves. One night at Silver Pop spoke Carly at all. He only answered questions. At last, Ma asked, Aren't you feeling well, Charles? I'm all right, Carolyn, Pa answered. Then what is the matter, Pa? Ma demanded. Nothing, Pa said. Nothing to worry you about. Well, the fact is, the boys have got word to look out for horse thieves tonight. That's high as a fair, Ma said. I hope you let him tend to it. Don't worry, Carolyn, Pa said. Laura and Carrie looked at each other and then at Ma. After a moment, Ma said gently, I wish you'd out with it, Charles. Big Jerry's been in camp, Pa said. He's been here a week and now he's gone. The boys say he's in with the gang of horse thieves. They say every time Barry, Big Jerry visits the camp, the best horses are stolen after he leaves. They think he stays just long enough to pick up the best teams and find out what stalls they're in. And then he comes back with his gang in the night and gets away with them in the dark. I always heard you can't trust a half-breed, Ma said. Ma did not like Indians. She did not even like half-Indians. We'd all have been scalped down on the Verdigree River if it hadn't been for a full-blood, said Pa. We wouldn't have been in any danger of scalping if it hadn't been for those howling savages, said Ma, with fresh skunk skins around the middle, and she made a sound that came from remembering how those skunk, skunk skins smelled. I don't think Jerry steals horses, Pa said, but... Laura thought he said as if he hoped that saying it would make itself. The real trouble is he comes to camp after payday and wins all the boys' money playing poker. That's why some of the men would be glad to shoot him. I wonder how it allows it, Ma said Ma. If there's anything as bad as a drink, it's gambling. They don't have to gamble if they don't want to, Carolyn Paul said. If Jerry wins their money, it's their own fault. There never was a kinder-hearted man than Big Jerry. He'd give the shirt off his back. Look how he takes care of old Johnny. That's so, Ma admitted. Old Johnny was a water boss. He was a little wizened, back, bent-backed old Irishman. He had worked on railroads all his life, and now he was too old to work, so the company had given him the job of carrying water to the men. Every morning, again after dinner, little old Johnny came to the well to fill his two large wooden water pills. When they were full, he went. He set his wooden yoke across his hook, and stooping, he hooked into the pails the two hooks that hung from short chains at the end of the yoke. When, then, with a grunt and groan, he straightened up. The chains lifted the heavy pails from the ground, and Johnny steadied them with his hands while he bore their weight on his shoulders. He trotted under the weight with short, stiff steps. There was a tin dipper in each water pail when he got to the men working on the grade. Johnny would trot along the line of work so that any thirsty man could help himself to drink to a drink of water without stopping work. Johnny was so old that he was little stooped and shrunken. His face was a mass of wrinkles, but his blue eyes twinkled cheerily, and he always trotted as quickly as he could so that no thirsty man need wait for a drink. One morning before breakfast, Big Jerry had come to the door and told Bob that old Johnny had been sick all night. He's so little... An old man, Big Jerry, said, the meals at the boarding shanty don't agree with him. Would you give him a cup of hot tea and a bit of breakfast? Ma put several of her hot white biscuits on a plate, and beside them she put a fried mashed potato cake and a slice of crispy fried salt pork. Then she filled a little tin pail with hot tea and gave it all to Big Jerry. After breakfast, Ma went to the bunkhouse to see old Johnny, and later he told Ma that Jerry had taken care of the old man of the poor old man all night. Johnny said that Jerry had even spread his own blanket over him to keep him warm and gone without any covering himself in the cold. He couldn't take a better care of his own 
father than he did of old Johnny. Possibly for that matter, Carolyn, I don't know but what we're beholden to him ourselves. They all remembered how Big Jerry had come out of the prairie on his white horse when the strange man was following them on and the sun was setting. Well, Pasa, getting up slowly, I've got to go sell the boys the ammunition for the guns. I hope Jerry doesn't come back to camp tonight. If he just rode up to see old Johnny, to see how John, old Johnny is, rode up to that stable to put his horse in, they'd shoot him. Oh, no, Charles, surely they wouldn't do that, Ma explained. <coughs> Paul pulled on his hat that the one that's doing most of the talkings already killed one man, he said. He got off easy on a plea of self-defense, but he served a team in state's prison, and Big Jerry cleaned him out last payday. He hasn't got the nerve to face Big Jerry, but he'll bushwhack him if he gets a chance. Paul went to the store, and Ma suddenly began to clear the table. While Laura washed the dishes, she thought of Big Jerry and his white horse. She had seen them many times galloping over the brown prairie, but Big Jerry always wore a big broad shirt. He always he was always bareheaded, and his white horse never wore a strap. The night was dark when Paul came from the store. He said that half a dozen men with loaded guns were lying in wait around the stable. It was bedtime. There was not a light in the camp, but dark shanties low against the land could hardly be seen. Only if you knew where to look, you could see them darker in the dark. There was a little star shine on Silver Lake, and all around it stretched the black prairie, flat under the velvet dark stars, sparkling with water. The wind whispered cold in the dark and the grass rustled as if it were afraid. Laura looked and listened and hurried, shivering into the shanty again. Behind the curtain, Grace was sleeping and Ma was sleeping, and Ma was helping Mary and Carrie to bed. Pa had hung up his salt, his hat, and sat down to on the bench, but he was not taking off his boot. He looked up and Laura came in, and then he got up and put on his coat. He buttoned it all the way up and turned up his collar so that his gray shirt did not show. Laura did not say a word. Paul put on his hat. Don't sit up for me, Carolyn, he said. Cheerfully, Ma came from behind the curtain, but Paul was gone. She went to the doorway and looked out. Paul had disappeared in the darkness. After a minute, Ma turned around and said, Bedtime, Laura. Please, Ma, let me stay up too, Laura. I, I believe I won't go to bed, said Ma. Not for a... Not for a while, anyway. I'm not sleepy. It's no use to go to bed when you're not sleepy. I'm not sleepy, Ma, Laura said. Ma turned down the lamp and blew it out. She sat down in the hickory rocker that Ma had made for her in Indian Territory. Laura went softly to on her bare feet across the ground and sat close beside Ma. He sat in the dark listening. Laura could hear a thin faint humming in her ears. It seemed to be the sound of her listening. She could hear Ma's breathing and the slow breathing of Carrie up. Breathing of Grace asleep and the faster breathing of Mary and Carrie lying awake behind the curtain. The curtain made a faint sound, moving a little in the air from the open doorway. Outside the door there was an oblong of sky and stars above far away edge of dark land. Out there the wind sighed, the grass rustled, and there was the tiny ceaseless sound of little waves lapping on the lake shore. A sharp cry of the dark tripped all through the door. She almost screamed. It was only the call of the wild geese, lost from its flock. Wild geese answered it from the slough, and a quacking, sleepy duck's rose. Ma, let me go out and find Pa, Laura with it. Be quiet, Ma, I said. You couldn't find Pa, and he doesn't want you to. Be quiet and let Ma take care of himself. I want to do something. I've got to do something, Laura said. 
So would I, said Ma, and the dark her head began to do softly to stroke Laura's neck. The sun and the wind are drying your hair, Laura. Pa said, you must brush it more. You must brush your hair a hundred strokes every night before you go to bed. Yes, Ma, Laura whispered. I had a lovely, I had lovely long hair when your Pa and I were married, Ma said. And I could sit on the bridge. She did not say any more. She went on stroking Laura's rough hair while they listened for the sound of shooting. There was one shining large star by the black edge of the doorway. As time went on, it moved slow, slowly. It moved from east to west, and more slowly still, the small stars wheeled about it. Suddenly, Laura and Ma heard footsteps, and in an instant, the stars were blotted out. Pa was in the doorway. Laura jumped up, but Ma only went limp in the chair. Sitting up, Carolyn, Pa said, Pashaw, you didn't need to do that. Everything's all right. How do you know that? Pa, Laura asked. How do you know Big Jerry? Never mind, Flutter Budget. Pa stopped her, cheerfully. Big Jerry's all right. He won't be coming at the camp tonight. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he rode in this morning on his white horse. Go to bed. Let's get what sleep we can before sunrise. Then Pa's great love rang, right, rang out like bells. There'll be a sleepy bunch of men working on the grave today. While Laura was dressing behind the curtain and Pa was sticking up his boots on the other side of it, she heard him say in a low voice to Ma, The best of it is, Carolyn, there'll, there'll never be a horse door for Summer Lake Camp. Sure enough, early that morning, Laura saw, Laura saw Big Jerry riding by the shanty on his white horse. He hailed Pa at the store, and Pa waved to him, and Big Jerry on, and the white horse galloped on and away to court where the men were working. There never was a horse stolen from Silver Lake Camp. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Laura in the Wildest by the shores of Silver Lake. Stay safe, have a good week, and thank you for listening.